So we're talking about sections 18 and 19 today. Mm-hmm. Worth of Souls, little Martin Harris looking for the Quorum of the Twelve. Yeah, I'm interested in talking about specifically the, the idea about the Worth of Souls and how God kind of sees everybody. So welcome. Before we get into our discussion, maybe we can follow up on what we read. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So God's going to talk to Martin Harris about the importance and the value of the worth of souls. Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer are commanded to seek out 12 apostles who will be known by their works and their desires. Chris is also going to talk about how he suffered for all, and he's going to try to help other people understand the beauty and the joy of repentance. So we're going to try to focus on three specific things today. First, we want to talk about what it means that the worth of souls is great in the eyes of God. Um, We want to know what the phrase cry repentance means and whether that refers just to people in the text or to us as well. And also want to reflect on the nature of God's punishment, specifically why punishment exists. So in order to help us to dive deeper and look even better at these sections, we've invited our wonderful friend, Stephanie Sorensen. Stephanie, can you join us up here? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you. So Stephanie is an adjunct professor of religion at Brigham Young University. She's written two books. The first one is a workbook called Learn of Me, and the second one is entitled Covenant Motherhood. So great work. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you helping us dive into the scriptures and follow the invitation of the prophet. So thank you. I'm excited to talk about these these sections, so Mm -hmm. thank you. So Stephanie, before we begin, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what stood out to you in these sections. Sure. One of the things that I loved about these sections is that the church is— just an embryo. This is still a year before the church is actually organized. And so the Lord's laying forth these principles to help them understand about the Quorum of the Twelve and how the church is going to expand. But the information that we learn in in these sections isn't just for members of the Quorum of the Twelve. It helps us to know how we can be better disciples and witnesses of Christ in everything that we do. And the other thing that I love is how it shows that the reason why the Lord is declaring his gospel to all people everywhere. And it's because of his love for them and that he wants us to be able to repent and return to him. Yeah, and I love this idea. I mean, this is a challenge we always face when we're reading scripture because all the canonized works we have, they were addressed to a certain person in a certain time uh, under certain circumstances. And we are not that person and we're not in that time. And chances are we're not in those circumstances. So we have to kind of be discerning about what exactly applies to us uh, as well as to the people in the original context. Yeah. So let's talk about the worth of souls. So we're really getting into the call of David Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery to be looking for these Quorum of the Twelve. And the Lord wants the members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles to understand the worth of souls. But I love specifically in here, he doesn't just say, understand that people are important. He gives us a reason behind it. If you look at verse 10, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And then verse 11, and he starts laying this out for us. This is real. So why? For behold, the Lord your Redeemer suffereth death in the flesh, wherefore he suffereth the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. And he hath risen again from the dead, that he might bring all men unto him on conditions of repentance. And how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth, wherefore you are called to cry repentance unto this people. And then he continues on in verse 15, And if it so be that you should labor all your days in crying repentance unto this people, and bring save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my Father." We could go on and on, but why is, why is one soul worth so much? Because Jesus Christ paid the price for that soul. And these souls are children of, of God. This, yeah. this is, of all the things that God cares about, we are all that really, really matters. Why does it matter to you, for you to know of your own worth, first of all? And then maybe another question, why is it important for you to know that every soul is of eternal value to God? So my very first question after I convert to Church of Jesus Christ was, uh, what mean love yourself? 
Because when I started reading scripture, uh, the, it was said that love God first, then love neighbor as you love yourself. So it kind of assumed that you have to love yourself. And I, at that point, I had no concept what loving yourself mean. And so I pray and fast about this and answer came that don't allow any unkind feeling, emotion, negative, unkind feeling emotions to enter your mind and heart. And that's where it starts in loving yourself. But the, the fact that Heavenly Father answer my question and explain that right away was to me, He loves me. And I saw, and I matter for him. Thank you for that comment. That was great. Thank you so much. So building off this sister's comment, how, how else has God demonstrated your worth to him? I think in just the experiences that we go through in our lives. Like there's been so many little things where I've been taught a lesson when serving somebody or doing something for someone. And just that feeling that comes through that reminds me of the the great worth that that soul has. And for some reason, that just fills this spot inside of me where I, I feel that love that He has for me. And another thing that came to mind is when I'm receiving a blessing and um, having some of those special blessings that are given just from my husband, but uh, it just fills my soul knowing that sometimes the first thing He says is how much his, my Heavenly Father is pleased with the things that I'm doing. And sometimes we don't <laughs> feel like we're doing that much, yet every soul is so important. And it's neat to have that feeling come back to us to realize that we, we truly are worth so much to our Heavenly Father. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. I was kind of thinking along the same lines, just in the everyday actions we see in our daily lives when you are late for work and you find your keys in the refrigerator or you have a friend call you just at the exact moment that you were feeling lonely. It's just that, that God sees that, that you are worth that phone call, that finding your keys, that you're worth just that moment and that action for you. My daughter found my phone in the dishwasher before I turned it on last week. <laughs> I think that's a tender mercy yeah. from the Lord, I'm just saying, yeah, and but that's true. Yeah, like when God lets you know that he's involved and mindful and attentive to the minutia of your lives. Like that really, like these little things that you yeah. think he wouldn't really care that much about, but he does. Yeah, I love how he also shows us that we can be useful despite our flaws. Mm -hmm. For me, that's what reassures me of my, of my worth because I can see the value that I can add. Mm -hmm. Just earlier this week, I was having a really bad day <laughs> and I was discouraged about my parenting. I was discouraged about some goals that I was failing at. And on my, on my way to an appointment, I kind of had one of those prayer slash complaining things where I just, I didn't feel good about myself and I was frustrated. And as I pulled into the parking lot, I had a couple of minutes and I just kind of sat there sitting in that, feeling that, and someone knocked on my window and said, my car won't start, do you have any jumper cables? And just like that, just like that, God reminded me that I can do good. I can offer things to other people. And I just kind of felt this renewed sense of purpose, even if it's only jumper cables for the moment. But it was a reminder to me that I have value and that value can best be shown as I reach out and serve other people. How critical it is for other people to have us show them some value too. I mean, you could have said to that individual, yeah, I do, but I don't have time for you. 
right? And, and there are some times when we have to prioritize, but that individual, I'm sure the Lord was, was speaking to you, but that individual understood their value because you were willing to stop and help them too. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a continual pattern in a sense and it just builds on each other. Thank you. Yeah. On that note, I think we have a, a, a video that kind of talks about this idea of worth, cultivating worth and seeing worth in others. Hi, my name is Mary and I live in Salem, Oregon. And my question is in regards to the Come Follow Me lesson, The Worth of Souls. And in D&C 1810, it says, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And I'm curious, during these really weird times that we're living in right now, where I'm not able to see my family and friends as often as I used to, and so we're consequently connecting more on social media and through video chats, what are some really effective ways that I can long distancely <laughs> let them know that I see their worth and to also help them to see their own worth when they're struggling with personal issues. I'm gonna give you one experience and then we can open this up. I remember one day I was teaching seminary, this was 20 years ago, and I don't know what was, what was happening in my life at that time, but whatever it was, I was struggling that day, kind of like what Stephanie was saying. And, and I remember praying and saying, Heavenly Father, I just need to know that I'm helping people. I just need to know that I'm doing something of value in people's lives. And that day, I remember going back to my office and getting an email from a student, and it was just simply, Sister Morgan, I so appreciate the lesson you taught today. I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you and you have impacted my life in a powerful way. Short and sweet. And I have learned from that, and, and throughout my life I've received you know, just thank you notes and things. And I think that's one of the things that I have learned and I've tried to do better is write thank you notes or just a quick text. Extend that grace to others. Or just, yes, because yeah. I recognize the impact it had by someone doing something so simple and so kind. It was an answer to my prayer. And my, my, my desire is to help other people feel that as well. Yeah, I actually even, like I do the same thing in my classes for my students. I actually tell my TAs to, you know, when you grade papers, do it prayerfully. And if you feel like prompted that a certain student needs a validation or something like that, like be open to the Lord to speak to you to kind of help Absolutely. them understand their own worth. And I feel like it, it does some good in, in the classroom. So. Oh, I agree. Mm -hmm. And even at a long distance, when we're trying to deal with people from far away, we can get inspiration. I know I've had just thoughts of names of people that come into my mind, just random and sending them a text that just says, I'm thinking of you. Or sometimes I see social media posts where I can tell that they're struggling just a little bit and just sending a quick note that just says, hey, you know, you're fighting the good fight. You're doing awesome. I see the good you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So this has been an excellent discussion on the worth of souls. And I think if anything, it reminds us of how much the Lord really loves us and how we can love uh, other people if we can see them through the Lord's eyes. So I wonder if we can transition right now to this idea of crying repentance. So in section 18, verse 14, you have God giving a commandment to Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Smith and David Whitmer. And he says, uh, wherefore you are called to cry repentance under this people. So I guess the question I have uh, for you, Barbara, and for, for you, Stephanie, and for anybody here really is, what exactly does it mean to cry repentance for them? And is this something that also applies to us in some way? What do you think? I love the question. It reminds me of Elder Bednar. Elder Bednar talks about the importance of, or the role of an apostle. And one of the things he says is, the simplest way to define the role of an apostle is that of a missionary bearing testimony of the reality and divinity of Jesus Christ in all the world. So when I think about the importance of crying repentance, I think we're talking about an apostle or we're talking about members of the church who are trying to spread the, in a sense, the good word of God to the entire world so that people can change through the atonement of Jesus Christ. 
Well, I think it's important to note that it really is part of an apostle's calling to cry repentance. They have a mm. stewardship over the whole earth. They're mm. seers, they're revelators. They can see the dangers that will come, the punishments that we can face if we don't repent. And they have that responsibility to yeah. tell us. Mm. We have a much more limited stewardship. Mm -hmm. um, where would we cry repentance? Maybe as we're parents and we recognize that children need to change behaviors and warn them about things that can happen if they don't change. Um, maybe bishops or Relief Society presidents might recognize problems and speak to the con congregation of their stewardship and saying, we can do better at this, right? Um, but us as individuals, I don't think we're really, I mean, you know, in fact, in fact, Elder Christofferson, he gave a talk called The Voice of Warning, and this is what he said, because it's not just an apostle's job, but there's kind of a more subtle way that we can do it. He said, while the duty to warn is felt especially keenly by prophets, it is a duty shared by others as well. This is not to say that we should bang on our neighbor's door or stand in the public square shouting, repent. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So truly, when you think about it, we have in the restored gospel what people deep down really want. So the warning voice is generally civil, but it is a joyful noise. So maybe what we have to think about is, can our calling people to repentance really be just a joyful expression of living the gospel, showing people a love for the Savior, and as they have a desire to come closer to him, they will make changes in their lives. Yeah, maybe crying repentance, just throwing this out again, isn't telling somebody what they've done wrong, but it's helping people understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I was gonna say, similar to that, when I think of like crying repentance, I think of what President Nelson said about repentance simply meaning change. And so, usually change can be uncomfortable, which is what you might be feeling like this uncomfortable, you should change, you should change. But I feel like it's more of, of a joyful thing of like, I've come this far and you can too. And I think that's generally people see their faults easier than their qualities. But when you can share like, this is what I've done and you can have that joy that I have as well, mm -hmm. then that's kind of what we've been talking about rather than yeah. uh, cry <laughs> repentance. Yeah. And maybe we can, we can build on that a little bit if that's okay, I wanna. Please. So how do we, I mean, you mentioned this idea of, of teaching the joy of changing, you know, in accordance with what God wants. So how do we teach and understand people to understand the joy that comes from repentance? Like, how do we convey that? So I think we have a great quote on that by, by Elder Anderson, just to get us started. Elder Anderson says, the invitation to repent is rarely a voice of chastisement, but rather a loving appeal to turn around and to return towards God. Repentance is the beckoning of a loving father and his only begotten son to be more than we are, to reach up to a higher way of life, to change and to feel the happiness of keeping the commandments. Being disciples of Christ, we rejoice in the blessings of repenting and the joy of being forgiven. They become part of us, shaping the way we think and feel. I love that quote by Elder Anderson. I just, I love the optimism there. I love his understanding of what the atonement of Jesus Christ really can do for us as we try to change. Well, and he points out too that the joy is, it comes from being forgiven. The repentance itself is maybe not the most joyful part of that process, but there mm -hmm. is joy in the forgiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, Elder Renland also said, he gave a whole talk called Repentance is a Joyful Choice, yeah. right? And he said, we can feel godly sorrow for our actions and at the same time feel the joy of having the Savior's help. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it, I mean, I know for me, I feel joyful, I feel so glad to know that there is help available to me, despite the fact that I have weaknesses, even recurring weaknesses, knowing that I can turn to the Savior and that He is there to help me. 
So this has been an excellent discussion on, on crying repentance. Um, maybe we can transition and talk a little bit more about the nature of God's punishment. Yeah, so let's talk about the nature of God's punishment, especially section 19 is a great place to look at it. And, and in some ways it can be a little bit confusing when we talk about it. But I want to maybe set a little bit of the context here. This section is written to Martin Harris. As we've talked about before, Martin Harris has financially been very supportive of Joseph and of Emma. In fact, we're looking here in the summer of 1829. Emma and Joseph are very financially struggling, to say, to say the least. Uh, Joseph knows that he wants to publish the Book of Mormon. The Lord is telling him that he needs to, but he doesn't have any money. He has no financial ability to do so. So, of course, he's going to call on his friend that has this financial ability, Martin Harris. And in a sense, Martin Harris is kind of looking at him and saying, how much are you going to need? And the problem is that Joseph can't get the Book of Mormon published by, by Grandin until he is able to actually offer him $3,000. And you can imagine how much $3,000 is now, let alone back then, right? And to someone in Joseph's position. Exactly. Yeah. And so finally, Joseph basically is asking, you know, Martin, uh, will you pay this money? And Martin, you can kind of see, although there's not necessarily the words exactly, but you can kind of see that Martin is saying, really, you're asking this much of me? Like, you gotta be kidding in a sense. But then there's the beauty of this. And you see right there in section 19, the Lord just starts off right from the beginning. I'm Alpha and Omega. I have accomplished and finished the will of him whose I am. Uh, even the father concerning me, having done this, that I might so do all things unto myself. And then you see verse two. And I have accomplished and finished the will of him whose I am. And you just see through this whole thing, the Lord is going to say, you know, you know what, Martin? I know that, I know that you have really um, been asked to do a lot. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have suffered all things. And I'm not asking you to do any more than I did. And we kind of see this theme throughout the, throughout the Doctrine and Covenants. But you can see that Martin's listening to this. And now the Lord is also going to start talking to him, not only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but he's also going to help him to understand better this idea of eternal punishment. And you can see that right off where he talks about this in verse six. Nevertheless, it is not written that there shall be no end to this torment, but it is written endless torment. Again, it is written eternal damnation. And then the Lord starts to explain what this means. Mm -hmm. And this begins in uh, verse 10. I am endless and the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment for endless is my name. So endless is essentially saying the Lord's punishment. Eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. Um, so Barbara, why does this matter? What is, how does this help us understand the uh, nature of God's and the reason, the purpose behind God's punishment um, what kind of understandings does it undermine about punishment? You know, especially in this time period, uh, back in the 1820s and, and perhaps even today, there was a real idea that when you go to hell, you're going to hell. It was a heaven or a hell and you're never getting out of hell. It's a forever pain and mm -hmm. no ending. Exactly. Yeah. And, and in this case, the Lord is making it very clear that that's a doctrine of other people, but I am God. And my definition of endless punishment is not that you're going to suffer for eternity. For some people, you're going to have to suffer. And this is what he talks about in verse 15. You're going to have to suffer if you don't repent. But it's not endless punishment. In verse 15, he says, therefore, I command you to repent. Repent lest I smite you by the rod of my mouth and by my wrath and by my anger and your suffering be sore. How sore you know not, how exquisite you know not, yea, how hard to bear you know not. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all that they might not suffer if they would repent. So why does God want you to repent? Because he knows how painful it is. 
and he doesn't want you to have to go through that kind of pain. And then he continues, but if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. And then listen to the suffering that Christ describes in his own life. This, this is, talk about an autobiography of Jesus Christ. And, and the way, I love the punctuation in this verse as well. So verse 18, watch this punctuation. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit. And then there's just this line. And would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. And again, it's like this pause. Nevertheless, he continues, glory be to the father. And I partook and I finished my preparations unto the children of men. So again, he reiterates, wherefore I command you again to repent, lest I humble you with my almighty power and that you confess your sins, lest you suffer these punishments of which I have spoken, of which in the smallest, yea, even in the least degree, you have tasted at the time I withdrew my spirit. Martin has felt the spirit leave him before. We don't know exactly what he's talking about here. It could be the loss of the 116 pages. We don't know. But sometime in Martin's life, he has felt pain from the loss of the spirit. And the Lord is saying, that, that's, that's nothing compared to what will happen if you don't repent. So if I understand you correctly, Barbara, would it be accurate to say that God's punishment is perhaps more pedagogical than it is punitive, which is to say it's intended to teach and change us rather than to make us suffer? Absolutely. I love how in that verse 19, how he says, I partook and finished my preparations. And, that, and he described how painful that was. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading it, I thought to myself, what are my preparations that I'm gonna have to partake and finish mm -hmm. the things that God wants me to do? And it's, it's, if I'm going to become like Christ, it's going to involve some suffering. Mm -hmm. And you know that suffering can come in many ways and with many causes, but it's going to be part of that growing and learning experience, mm -hmm. not just because of punishment's sake. Yeah, excellent. The God's punishment is, like you said, it's pedagogical, it's to teach you. Mm -hmm. But it's also much more important to realize that you can avoid it in its entirety with repentance. Mm -hmm. Our repentance may feel like a very unsavory thing to do. It's just orders of magnitude less yeah. than what you will have to endure. Mm -hmm. exactly. So I think God's punishment is there also to help you now and to teach you then. And at the same time, suffering is gonna be part of our experience no matter what. I think it, we have to make an important distinction that not all suffering comes because we failed to repent. Right? Amen to that, sister. Like one, and so every time we're suffering, we shouldn't automatically think that we deserve that, yeah. but that we, but there are several reasons that we suffer in this life. One mm -hmm. is because we fail to repent. Another is because other people mess up. They make bad choices and they hurt us. And then another one is just because we're mortal and we live in a fallen world and we're gonna have calamity, pain, death, suffering, all of those things. And that's not necessarily because repentance is the answer. I um, was talking to somebody recently who made a comment and he said, this is, sounds a little bit difficult, but he said, I'm really struggling with my testimony of the church because if it's true, I'm dead meat. I'm going to hell. And I remember thinking, then you don't understand the church. The church is true and you're going to heaven and you're gonna live with God eternally. But you've got to know Christ. You have to know Christ to understand the joy of repentance. You have to know your relationship with heavenly father. The more we understand our relationship with heavenly father, the more we see repentance as a gift. And, and that's not to say, again, it doesn't mean it's not hard. It is still, there is still some, some difficulty that will go in there. But the idea that, that repentance is, is uh, in some way dragging us down to hell or that's the horrible thing or we aren't repenting, that is not 
Christ will not make people feel that bad. That would be one of Satan's tools to make anybody think that they would go to hell. Satan, Satan will try to convince people of that. But our, but our Savior and the Lord here in section 18, that's one of the reasons why he's making this very strong distinction. So this has been an excellent discussion on, on um, repentance and God's punishment. And I hope some of you have felt um, maybe how you might um, better approach God in, in the spirit of repentance and um, how to exercise or what it means to, to cry repentance within your sphere of influence. But this was great, thanks. So Stephanie, thank you so much for your great insights. It's been fantastic having you on there. We'd like to thank all of you as well. Thank you to our audience here, our wonderful friends who have been sharing your thoughts and insights. And for those of you at home, thanks a lot for your comments and questions and insights sent to us via social media. We'd love to have you in the studio sometime, but if you can't join us uh, here, we hope you'll watch next week on Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.